And as we now take time to worship the Lord through the reading and preaching of his word, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles again to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Fifteen years ago, friends of ours took their three young children to a closed Muslim country to reach the unreached in obedience to the Great Commission of Christ. Before leaving, they came to share about their plans at our church at the time. And after they shared what they were doing, people were in awe that these young people were willing to not only uproot their family to be missionaries, but to go into a difficult and potentially dangerous environment for gospel ministry. And it's what everyone was talking about uh, for quite some time after. And you know what I heard people say most often? I could never do that. As a pastor, those words are something I have heard many, many times about so many different things. I could never speak in public like you do, preaching and teaching the word. I could never share the gospel so boldly with family and friends like he does. I could never show hospitality to neighbors and even strangers welcoming into my home like like she does. I could never take in children for foster care who are in desperate need like they do. I could never go above and beyond in in my giving to Christian ministry like, like many do. I could never uproot my family, go somewhere I've never been before to be a missionary, to preach the gospel where it's never been preached like this young family did. Are those words that you've ever said before about any number of of Christ's commands? Or maybe when considering a specific ministry, I could never do that. Well, as we continue along in our sermon series today through Hebrews 11, We're going to see an example of two more Old Testament saints that God's people then and now can, in fact, do anything God calls us to do if we live by faith. You know by now, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, that those two words, by faith, are repeated 18 times in this chapter to emphasize the the centrality of faith in the Christian life. There's simply no other way to follow Christ faithfully than by faith. Which we learned in verses 1 to 3 is essentially this. It's being sure of what we cannot see. And more specifically, it is a settled confidence in God's promises because of the overwhelming evidence in the world, and particularly in the Word. That is what biblical faith is. And in the rest of Hebrews 11, from verse 4 to 40, uh, it expands on that by giving us many biblical examples of what living by faith actually looks like practically. So as a modern Hall of Fame lists noteworthy individuals and their secular achievements, usually to inspire future generations, this Hebrews Hall of Faith lists 
noteworthy individuals from the Old Testament and their spiritual achievements in order to inspire future Christians, you and me, today. Like Abel, Enoch, and Noah, who we looked at last week, their spiritual achievements in verses 4 to 7. You remember, uh, through them inspiring us to worship God, to walk with God, and to work for God by faith. And now this week, we're going to be considering the faith of two more, two more Old Testament saints, two more examples given to us here so we might also imitate them. And it is Abraham and Sarah. And we see, first of all, in verse 8, that they went to an unknown country by faith. So verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Abraham is known for his faith. In fact, in Galatians 3, 7 to 9, it says, those of faith are sons of Abraham because he is the man of faith. And it's no wonder that he's given more space in the Hebrews Hall of Faith than any other Old Testament saint. Abraham lived by faith like no other. And it all started in Genesis 12. And I invite you to turn with me there at this time. Keep your finger in Hebrews 11, but go to Genesis 12. What we're going to read here uh, happened 400 years after Noah and the flood, which is where verse 7 ended. And this time in in, uh, Genesis 12, God called Abraham to leave everything he had known. So, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, later he would change his name to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed." Now, we see at the end of Genesis 11 that the first country Abraham lived in, along with his wife Sarah, his father Terah, uh, was Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia. That would have been modern-day Iraq. And this was a wealthy, sophisticated culture where no doubt Abraham and his family prospered. Life was good in the place they knew. Until we get to chapter 12, verse 1. And suddenly... God told them to go to a place they didn't know called Canaan. This new land would be their promised inheritance, as Genesis 12, 7 later spells out. And all of this, think about it, surely would have bewildered Abraham's neighbors when they found out. Why are you leaving? Uh, Because the God you do not know and cannot see told me to. And where are you going? I don't know. It's a place I've never been before. And what will you do there? I will become a great nation and bless all of the world. I'm sure you can just imagine the looks on their faces when they heard about this. It would have sounded nuts. Just like many things that Christians believe and say and do is nuts to the world today, right? Right? Like, why do you believe the world was created in six days? Because God said so. 
Why do you say that marriage is between one man and one woman? Because God made it that way. Why are you quitting your job, leaving your country, and moving across the world? Because the God you do not know and cannot see has commanded me to go and make, nation, uh, make disciples of all nations. It's all crazy to those who live without faith in the true God. But for those who do live by faith, this isn't crazy at all. No, believing and obeying the word of God is only natural. And that's what Abraham did. So in Genesis 12, verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He didn't say, Sorry, God, I could never do that. Wait, you want me to leave everything I've ever known, all of my security, prosperity, family and friends, the whole bit, and go where? I can't do that. No. Rather, it says back in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed. He considered the evidence for the truthfulness of God. He was convinced that he could trust in God, and therefore he immediately obeyed God with the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And notice, he didn't hesitate. It says Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. In other words, he submitted to God's call when it was still sounding in his ears. Much like the first disciples in Matthew 4, 18 to 20, who immediately obeyed Christ's call. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Church, when Christ calls us to do something for him, do we obey like that? Do we drop everything? And by faith, follow what he said in his word. Without hesitation. Even if it means doing something we've never done before. Going into the unknown. Or do we hesitate? And do we take far too long evaluating all of the risks maybe involved? And then come back to Christ and say, you know, Lord, sorry. I could just never do that. Never been there before, never done that, it's scary. You'll understand, right? Someone once said, never be afraid to entrust an unknown future into an all-knowing God. That is what Abraham and Sarah did when they went to an unknown country by faith. And we are called to do the same with whatever we have been commanded to do in God's word. But there's more. We read on in verse 9 to 10 that Abraham and Sarah also then waited for an unknown city, or sorry, an unending city by faith. So again, keep your finger in, in, in Genesis. We're going to be back there. But uh, Hebrews 11, verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham and his family left their homeland to find a new home in Canaan. But when they got there, they never settled in. Instead, it says they were living in tents uh, as sojourners 
in a foreign land, dwelling alongside the Canaanite people. Now, the the word translated went to live denotes uh, living as a foreigner in a new land. It can also be translated sojourned as it is in the King James, or they lived as a stranger in the NASB. And so though God had promised this land to be an everlasting possession to Abraham's family, for now, they would be sojourners in it. And we see this is exactly what happens as we go back to Genesis 12 and we read verse 5 to 9. God made this promise. He said, go and do this. Abraham went. And then we read this, verse 5. And Abram uh, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel and, uh, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. And that sojourning, that journeying just continues so that at the end of Abraham's life, the only land he actually owned was a tiny field he purchased to bury his wife Sarah in, as we read in Genesis 23. In fact, Acts 7 verse 5 tells us that God gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession, and to his offspring after him. Now, how can a man be promised to possess a land, yet never possess it in his life? Well, the answer to that understandable question is given in the next verse. So again, keep your finger in Genesis 12, uh, but go back to Hebrews 11, verse 10. We find out what is going on here. It says, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, who designer and builder is God. So Abraham understood that the inheritance God had promised him was not only a land on earth, but an eternal city in heaven. He was waiting expectantly for a heavenly home built by God that had everlasting foundations. This is the inheritance of all believers. And we know this because of what we read elsewhere in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 verse 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And then uh, Hebrews 13, 14, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is come. Now, what a difference that truth makes in the lives of those who live by faith in God. First and foremost, uh, it means, like Abraham experienced, we don't have to have a home here. We don't need to settle in one place. We, we, We can leave what we know. We can go somewhere different and new, away from everything we know, away from even the people we know. Like Abraham and Sarah, if that's what God calls us to do. 
Because we know we have no lasting home here. And so when missionaries go and live their whole lives away from their homeland, going from place to place, never really being able to settle in one place, there's this hope. Well, you have no lasting city on earth anyway, right? But it also means that we don't ultimately, or we should not ultimately, live for the comforts of this world, but rather to store up treasures in heaven that will last forever, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as Jesus said in Matthew 6. And this is really important. Understanding this also means that we should not care at all about fitting in with this world that is passing away, but rather we should be living as strangers and sojourners, just like Abraham did, as citizens of heaven. In his book on Hebrews 11, Faith for Life, English church planter Richard Coiken observes, he says this, Abraham wasn't desperate to fit in and put down roots. Instead of building his own house and business, he was content to live in a tent, a temporary dwelling, and his son and grandson were raised to do the same. They chose to live like gypsies or travelers or nomads with no intention of settling down. The only land Abraham bought was a tiny burial plot. He didn't mind feeling like a foreigner, an outsider, a stranger, and pilgrim because he was. Canaan was never going to feel like home to a man who longed for his true home in heaven. He goes on to say, Doesn't this challenge our culture's desire that we all own our own house? or a bigger house, or that we buy or extend a holiday cottage. Some honest and prayerful reflection is appropriate before we invest funds selfishly that could have been applied to gospel ministry, and certainly when we write a will. Christians are tempted by the world to invest our best efforts in acquiring the material things that this world values most. Property, status, education, family, pleasure, fitness, luxury. But this world is not our home. He's right. By faith, our home is in heaven. And then one day, when Christ comes again, our home will be in his kingdom on the new earth. When Abraham and his descendants will finally, Abraham himself finally forever possess Canaan and the whole world together with all God's people. Remember Revelation 21 to 22, the new earth? Another great encouragement when heaven, our heavenly home, comes to earth. And this is especially encouraging for Christians who have lost everything for Christ. Remember, like the recipients of this book. Or an encouragement for those who could face such loss. If someone was to tell you, here's, here's the deal. Christ or your home. Christ or everything that you've, you know and, and you've grown comfortable with and gives you a sense of security and Would we say, I can never do that? Or we say, in Christ, 
I can. I can live as a sojourner. I can live without a home. I can live without fitting in to this world that is passing away. I can live without everything that our culture is bombarding with what, us with minute by minute. You need this to be happy. You have to have this. You know how it goes. Well, Abraham and Sarah, they were willing to let it all go. Waiting for an unending city by faith. But that's not all. Thirdly and finally, we also see that Abraham and Sarah welcomed an unexpected child by faith. So, back in Hebrews 11, verse 11, we read this. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promise. So the focus now shifts from Abraham to Sarah and from the promised land, as we read about in Genesis 12.1, to the promise of becoming a great nation, as we read about in Genesis 12.2, which of course would require them having children. The problem is that Abraham was a very old man. In verse 12, it says he was as good as dead. Well, Sarah was well past the age of bearing children. That's a much nicer way of saying it, isn't it? And yet this was a promise God had made and that he later clarified to them. So back in Genesis, now Genesis 17, verse 15 to 17. They're still sojourners, but we read this, Genesis 17, 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Have you ever laughed at a promise of God? Probably not, but you may have doubted it. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Hmm, I can think of some things that might. Nothing will be impossible with God. I don't know, that sounds a little too good to be true. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Really, God? All things? All things that you ask me to do? It's not always easy to take God at his word. We might not laugh, but all of us at times have doubted. Even Abraham, the man of faith, doubted for a moment when God promised a son, and so did Sarah. When the Lord appeared another time in Genesis 18, we read verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Again, a nicer way than saying with Abraham, he was as good as dead. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. It was hard to grasp how people at their age could have a son, and that's why 
faith was necessary. The human impossibility forced them to trust that indeed nothing is too hard for God. It it forced them to be sure of what they could not see, to have confidence in God's promises. And the same is true for us today. It's when we come against impossibilities in our mission, in our ministries, and everything else, that we are forced to live by faith in God's promises. As long as everything is going hunky-dory, as long as, as we're just doing our thing without a whole lot of help, our faith remains small and weak. But when we're faced with something that we know is impossible for me to do on my own, that is when we must live by faith. Being sure of what we cannot see, believing that nothing is too hard for God. And those words that come out of our mouths so easily, I could never do that, disappear. George Mueller, another man of faith, through whom God accomplished many impossible things, most notably starting an orphanage that cared for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime, and all of that without him ever asking anyone for money. He once said this, Many people are willing to believe regarding those things that seem probable to them. But faith has nothing to do with probabilities. The province of faith begins where probabilities cease and sight and sense fails. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Well, though they first laughed at God's promise of a son, Abraham and Sarah eventually believed No, this God, almighty God, creator of everything, he can do the impossible. And in due time, Sarah herself, it says, received the power to conceive. God did the impossible. Why? Well, it says in verse 11, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Okay, so she she weighed the futility of her barrenness with the faithfulness of God and she went with the latter. She said, no, your word is stronger than my weakness. And you've promised this to me. And so I'm banking on that promise. And what happened? Well, Genesis 21, 1 to 3. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Truly, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And yet, this was only the beginning. God not only promised Abraham a son, he promised to make Abraham a great nation. This old man who is as good as dead would have innumerable descendants. And we go back to Hebrews 11, verse 
12, we're reminded of that. Using the same imagery we see in Genesis, therefore from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the sea shore. Now church, if God could make a great nation out of just one man who had faith, surely he can do great things through men and women, boys and girls who have faith in the present. Surely the impossible is possible when we too live by faith in the promises of God, in the promise-keeping God. It's Christian Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom, who certainly lived by faith and did things many of us would think impossible. She said, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. So do you and I have such faith? Not not a faith we just work up in ourselves for no reason. I think you can do this, God, so I'm going to believe hard enough and you're going to do it. No, faith in what God has promised us. Faith in what he has said I will do. Faith that I will obey your commandments and trust that you will take care of the rest. Or are you and I one of the many who see these impossible situations, who say, I've never done that before. This is moving into unknown territory. Sorry, Lord. I could never do that. Abraham and Sarah had such faith that they not only were able to welcome this unexpected child by faith, but also to do so much more. Who were also able to go into this unknown country, wait for an unending city, And ultimately, Abraham being the man of faith who we still remember today. They believed God can do the impossible, and he did. Just like so many ever since. So many in church history as well. In May of 1893, a young Englishman living in Canada named Roland Bingham first heard about a vast region in West Africa that at the time was known simply as the Sudan. And he was informed that 90 million people lived there without even one Christian or one missionary. And he was then asked if he would go. And after one sleepless night, haunted by the thought of so many people who would never have a chance of hearing the gospel, Bingham decided he must go in obedience to the Great Commission. And so a few months later, he and two other young men, Walter Gowans and Tom Kent, left everything they knew behind, all the comforts of Canada, to journey into an unknown part of the world where few missionaries had ever gone before and no missionaries had ever remained. Any who ever tried to reach the interior with the gospel had soon died from disease or other dangers. 
But these young men were determined they would do whatever it takes to reach the millions of lost souls there and remain establishing the first mission stations. Well, sadly, only a year later, after they had been in Africa and tried to press into the interior, both Gowans and Kent were dead from malaria. And Bingham was on his way back to Canada, very sick himself, but he was not deterred. He hoped rather to find new missionaries that he could bring back with him while also raising support for the mission, a mission that would eventually become the Sudan Interior Mission. Today, it's known as SIM. Well, after accomplishing both, SIM eventually set up its first mission station in this part of Africa. And though there were many more setbacks and many more who lost their lives, 50 years later, when Bingham passed away, there were SIM mission stations dotted all over Africa in the interior and 350 missionaries serving in the field proclaiming the gospel of Christ, planting churches, and training leaders in what had been one of the most unreached places in the world. Now, when, before he passed away, when he was asked how he was able to accomplish so much for the cause of Christ, especially when it cost him so much, reaching a region of Africa that most people had said, even other missionaries told them, it's unreachable. Forget about it. You know what Roland Bingham would always tell people? He said this, simply this. I have a little faith in a great God. Though countless Christians had said, I could never do that. It is impossible. Bingham and his co-missionaries believed that with Christ, they could. They believed nothing was impossible for God. And if they lived by faith in Almighty God, they could do this. The same is true for me and for you today. Listen, whatever it is that God is calling you to do today, you can do it by faith. Whether it's leaving what you know and, and stepping into the unknown like Abraham and Sarah did, or it's risking life and limb for the Great Commission like Roland Bingham did, or it's following Christ in countless other ways, at home, in church, at work, at school, in the community. As Christians, I could never do that, should never be part of our vocabulary. But rather, we should trust, as Jesus said, that all things are possible for he who believes, for those who live by faith. Not looking at ourselves, but looking at the one who said to Abraham and Sarah, nothing is too hard for me. So let's pray now for more of such faith. So we would not hesitate, but would follow Christ's commands and let him take care of the rest. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we're thankful for this study that we have begun these past couple weeks, uh, looking through Hebrews 11, this hall of faith. And as we consider 
two more faithful Old Testament saints, Abraham and Sarah, and how they left everything they knew, all of their comforts, all their security, all their prosperity, friends, family, all of it, to go when you called them to go. That, Lord, we would also have such faith. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for so often excusing our disobedience, saying, sorry, Lord, I could never do that. And rather, fill us with your Holy Spirit and with your word by which our faith increases. Faith that has eyes to look to you for whom nothing is too hard. And therefore, Lord, we would not hesitate to obey your commands, but to do them, trusting in you for whom nothing is impossible, clinging to your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.